Welcome to the Know God Podcast, our weekly discussion with Dr. Jeff Colburn, where we learn about Jesus and how we can develop a relationship with God. Jeff earned his PhD in Bible exposition and is the founder of the Safe Harbor Digital Community, an online space where all are welcome to explore God. I am your co-host, Angela, and I cannot wait to get to today's discussion. For this episode, we are continuing our discussion on who Jesus claimed to be. Jeff, last week, we discussed the different messianic expectations during Jesus's time and how he met these these expectations. This week, I want to get back to our audience's original questions. The first question asked about the many I am statements Jesus made. The other question asked if Jesus's divinity is a historic fact or just a matter of faith. So let's start with the first one. What were the I am statements and what did they mean? Sure. Uh, Last week we discussed the I am statement Jesus made in John 8. And this is where he responded with the statement, before Abraham, I am. And he's using the same name God used with Moses. And by using this name, Jesus is claiming to be God. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. And that's why they picked up rocks to stone him. But I think this question is specifically referring to the I am statements in the John book of John. So what are those I am statements? Well, in the book of John, Jesus makes seven different I am statements. He refers to himself as the bread of life. He's the light of the world. Jesus is the gate. He's the good shepherd. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the true vine. He refers to himself as a lot of different things. What was he trying to tell the people? Well, he's really speaking to who he is and to his purpose. And he makes these statements within specific contexts. So, for example, John 6.35. This is when he makes a statement that he's the bread of life. Now, he just fed 5,000, and the crowd wanted more food. So he tells them, whoever comes to him... They're never going to go hungry or thirst again. So what did he mean when he said that he is the bread of life? Well, this statement has eschatological significance. And as we mentioned last week, eschatology refers to the end times. So we read in Revelation seven fourteen to 16 that those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus, Jesus will never go hungry or thirst again. Now remember, God delivered manna to the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. And while this may have satisfied their hunger, temporarily, those who ate of it eventually died. So God is the supplier of this divine bread, or the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And Jesus is claiming to be that divine bread, and that he should be the object of their faith. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So eating the bread of life means having eternal life through faith in Jesus. How about the next statement where he says that he is the light of the world? Yes. In in John 8, 12, Jesus says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in Genesis, we read God's first creation is light. And then further in the Old Testament, God leads the Israelites as a pillar of fire, and this lit their path during the night. And often, God's saving work is described as light. 
Jesus wrote in Psalm 20, uh, I'm sorry, David wrote in Psalm 21, sorry about that, that God is his light in salvation. God's wisdom is that light that illuminates his people. Psalm 119, 105 states that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is the incarnation of God's presence on earth. And his work is described as light 16 times in the New Testament. John himself wrote that God is light, and in him there's no darkness. Jesus is that light, and his disciples walk in that light. And then we have to look at Isaiah. So in 49.6, we're told a suffering servant was to be a light to the nations. He's to bring God's salvation to the Gentiles. Last week, we discussed Jesus' claim to be that suffering servant. So, Jesus is the light to the Gentiles, and it will be through him that they'll be led back to God. Well, that makes sense, because most Christians are familiar with being the light. But what did Jesus mean by saying he is the gate? Now, that one is a little confusing. Yeah, that could be, Angela. Uh, But the people of Jesus' time, they're familiar with shepherding, and they knew that the shepherds often put their sheep in a pen at night to protect them. Uh, and this, the only way in and out of that pen was through a gate. So in John 10, 7 and 9, Jesus states that he is the gate, and anyone who enters through him will be saved. So he's using something people recognize. He's claiming to be that gate, and he's referring to the people as the sheep. So like the gate to the sheep pen, Jesus is saying he's the only way to God. And this is we're told this in Psalm 118.20. And it says, this is the gate of the Lord that the righteous will enter through. So Jesus is telling us that there is no other path to God, that it's only through him that we may be saved. That's correct. It is only through our faith in Jesus that we can be restored to God. There is no other way. Interesting. Okay, so what about the people, Jeff, that do not believe in Jesus? Well, Angela, if we are to believe Jesus and and what he taught, we have to accept all that he taught. In this statement, he's clear. He is the gate and the only way to God. He makes a similar I am statement that shares this point. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So before we move on to that statement, I want to finish Jesus's shepherding analogy in John 10. So what makes him the good shepherd? Well, Jesus actually makes two good shepherd statements. First, he says he's a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And what he's saying is, like any good shepherd, he's willing to risk his life to protect the sheep. But he goes beyond this. His death is not accidental. It's God's will that Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. They're in danger, and he sacrifices himself to save them. And then in the second Good Shepherd statement, he says he knows his own and that they know him. By making this statement, he's describing that mutual intimacy that he shares with the Father. And it's the same level of intimacy that he wants with his followers. And it's because of his love for his sheep, that is his people, that he's willing to give his life to save them. Jeff, we see Jesus make an interesting response to Martha when she says that her brother Lazarus will rise again on the last day. 
He says that he is the resurrection and the life. Yes, that's the fifth I am statement in John. And what he's saying is that those who believe in him will have power over death. Yes, they may suffer a physical death, but they're going to have life beyond the grave. They're going to have eternal life. But what he's also saying is that if you follow him, you're able to experience that same power today. Now you mentioned this I am statement earlier and that it affirms Jesus's I am the gate statement. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's correct. He is saying he is the way to God. And this is because he is the truth of God and the life of God. And now he's the truth because he's the embodiment of God's revelation. He says and does exactly what the Father instructs him. He is the Word made flesh. John tells us, right, 1 John 5.20, that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And because of this, he's the only way to God. Those who come to the Father Jesus will experience eternal life. And that's why the first Christians referred to as the followers of the way. In the last I am statement, Jesus calls himself the vine. Yes. In John 15, he states that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Again, he's using a context that the people of his day would understood. They know the role of the vine dresser. They know you have to trim the branches to produce more fruit. They also know you have to remove the dead branches to make room for the more fruitful branches. So, in this statement, his disciples are those fruitful branches. And he's saying that they can only grow by being connected to the vine, meaning they're completely dependent on him as his life flows through them. And the fruitfulness is just a result of that spiritual life with Jesus. And how we do this is by keeping his word. Uh, he says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, keep my commands. But Jesus is also saying something in this statement. He's saying like any branch that's apart from the vine dies, he is telling us that any person apart from him will surely die. Jeff, from the seven I am statements, he appears clear that only through our faith in him can we be restored to God and experience eternal life. That's correct. Uh, so to sum it up, he's telling us that not only is he one with the Father, he is the only way to the Father. In order to experience eternal life, you have to believe in him. And to grow as a disciple, you have to continue to follow him. And this is done through our loving obedience to his words. With Jesus claiming to be God, this leads to our next question. Is his divinity a historic fact? Well, let's start looking at the historic facts that we have. No scholar will dispute that Jesus is a real historical figure and that he was crucified by the Romans. As you remember, we went through this evidence in our previous episode on the resurrection. We also have evidence outside Christian sources that Jesus was no ordinary man. You look at the Jewish historian Josephus. He told that Jesus was a doer of startling deeds. Now, he used the same words to describe the miracles performed by Elijah. And then you look at the Greek philosopher Celsus. He described Jesus as having miraculous powers. So historically, we know Jesus was a real person, 
and his miraculous powers were known to Christians and non-Christians. But then we have to look at what Jesus said about himself. We spent the last two episodes discussing who Jesus claimed to be. And he made it clear. He believed that he is the Son of God. He wasn't just claiming divinity. He's claiming to be God. And if we are to believe Jesus, we have to believe everything he said. And we have four separate eyewitness accounts that attest to his statements. I believe C.S. Lewis gave us three options. Either we believe Jesus and what he said, and he's Lord, or he's either a lunatic or a liar. So some consider Jesus to be a great teacher or rabbi, while others believe him to be a prophet. But if he's not what he claimed to be, he can't be a great teacher or a true prophet. Nobody's going to follow a liar or a lunatic. So if we know Jesus is real and that he claimed to be God, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to believe he's God. So can we say that his divinity is a historic fact or just a matter of faith? Is there indisputable evidence to prove Jesus' divinity? No, there isn't. There's only what he and his early followers claimed him to be. Is he real? Yes, we know that. So we have to ask, if we believe him, you know, do we believe him or is he a liar or is he a lunatic? And I believe C.S. Lewis is right. These are our only three choices. So it is a matter of faith. Yes. I didn't come to faith because of evidence. I actually didn't know any of this evidence before I came to believe. It's what he's done in my life and our personal relationship that makes me believe he's God. Not some cold series of historical facts. I've heard his voice. I felt the promptings and convictions of the Holy Spirit. I experienced his work in my life. And I've seen it in the lives of others. Thank you, Jeff, for helping us to understand who Jesus claimed to be. It was my pleasure. I hope you all enjoyed being part of this discussion and found it useful in answering some of your own questions about Jesus. Thank you, everyone, for being part of the Know God podcast. Please join us every Monday as we learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Also, please join the Safe Harbor community at digitalsafeharbor.com, a safe online space where you can ask questions, share your experiences and struggles, and engage in honest conversation. Until next week, have a great day and God bless.